Well, um, good afternoon, everyone. Thanks uh, a lot for being here. My name is Simon Lee. I'm from China and now a visiting graduate student at uh, University of Cambridge. Um, today, I'm going to talk about um, a phenomenological account of uh, an artistic issue of ready-made, which um, ha has been quite um, intriguing and decisive in the, uh, in the analytic discussions about um, artworks and um, for the um, 20th century artistic theories. But it seems to me that um, it's a little bit clear that phenomenologists have just, just paid um, very little attention to this question before the 1990s. And um, John Brough, an American um, phenomenologist, was among um, the earliest examiners. But um, before I prop into this topic, I'm going to give some background. Um, and one is um, about the definition of ready-made. So uh, ready-made is normally known as um, some, some objects that, that are ordinary, um, but they are elevated to the dignity of works of art by the mere choice of certain artists. Um, so, so now we have some um, familiar stuff um, made by Duchamp, but it is not literally manufactured by him. It, they were just um, picked up from certain industry and um, submitted, submitted to, accepted by, and presented in certain art galleries like um, Fountain, a urinal, and a stone shower, and the bottle rack, which is literally a bottle rack. But uh, as Duchamp would suggest, and other um, philosophers of artists, um, of artistic theory would um, agree that there, there could be two main categories of um, ready-mades. One is them as um, unaided ready-mades because the artist has um, done very little thing and nearly nothing to those kind of works except um, except for signing um, to, to, to that works. And it, um, and on the other side, we have those um, aided ready-mades, and, and um, the artist had done something to them, and um, like some modifications, some refinements, and um, and, and some, sometimes they would just uh, manufacture something um, that that is more than just um, picking them up and, or buying them from certain supermarket or groceries. So uh, what did ready-mates, um, um, what, what did those ready-mates uh, make to the um, tradition of art or what kind of problems they, they have caused? And it seems that there's a puzzle um, and um, which we, we, we could see in the controversial declarations of Duchamp made in the same work. And it seems that um, we have difficulty in making a choice whether to consider them as works of art or not. Some reviewers suggested that um, that puzzle actually suggested an old, um, an, an old story of revolution because those one used to be revolutionary or subversive had finally been um, assimilated to certain tradition and become a new um, order. And this is suggested by George Dickey and Stephen Goldsmith. 
but others would imply that we should pay more attention to the distinction we've just mentioned above, and Brock was one of them. So now we are going to um, to, to take Brock's two essays about ready-made into account. And it seems that he had conveyed different ideas in these two essays. In, in the earlier one, that's, um, he normally fully endorsed um, the views of the institutional theory of art. And um, when then we um, make a comparison between his declaration and Du Xiang's definition of art, we find that he actually added very little to to um, to, to Dickey's sorry for, for to Dickey's declaration, and we can normally conclude there is a, a minimal work requirement which is sufficient for the status of a work of art, um, and and this requirement is constituted by um, two main conditions, which are um, co-sufficient for that status. One is artifactuality, just as it has been mentioned before, that thing should be manufactured by a um, human being, should not be natural things. The other is um, artistic intention, that means um, that work should be created and presented to certain um, certain audience that are capable um, to appreciate that work. So, when we see on the one hand that um, that that Brock seemed to be a friend of uh, the analytic philosophers of art, um, on the other, it seems that he what he has tried to do is to make an interpretation of um, the theory of art world um, in the perspective of um, phenomenology, and um, and and we, we could see that he would explain art world. Um, in, in light of the late Husserl's um, generic phenomenology. So he, he would see that um, the art world is basically constituted by some basic elements, like um, vocational roles, like artists, viewers, and artistic historians, and so on. And there are two main um, basic relations between those vocational roles. Um, one is known as um, horizontal, so, um, so artists, would create works not not for themselves or not by themselves. They rather they they would create it uh, with their colleagues and um, and, and with, with um, their their assistants or or someone else and and they would create those works for a public. Um, so so which is known as um, creating in a community and artists cannot be blind to the tradition of art. So, um, which is known as the uh, vertical dimension of that relation. So, um, he, he, uh, so that artists should not be blind to the history. And this is what um, not not only what um, Brock had added to the institutional theory of art, but also um, this response had actually. Um, deflates Wolfheim's challenge, uh, challenge to Dickey's institutional theory because, um, according to Wolfheim, that um, that that's, that there couldn't be such um, such literally 
um, representatives that who could um, decisively confer the status of works of art. But uh, just as Dickie's response, that um, he had never used the word as representatives, but he, he used um, members instead because of um, because of the impersonal um, properties of members, and this is, um, yeah, th this is in consensus with the view of Brock. But um, what is tricky is that Brock seemed to change his mind in the the latter um, essay, and in this essay he became a skeptic of the institutionalism, because he had realized that. Probably we just have paid too much attention to ready-mades, and um, ready-made actually represent only a very small part in the history of art. But it was over decisive, which would create imbalance in the artistic theory and artistic history. And he also pointed out that there might be some risks of taking ready-mades too seriously. One is that uh, and um, yeah, not, not only taking them too ser seriously, but merely accepting them to the outward would create some problems, uh, like the artifactuality as one uh, necessary condition, just as we, as we mentioned before, could one day be sacrificed if unaided ready-made that accepted, because it means that um, probably natural things could be, uh, could be included as candidates for, um, for appreciation or um, work of art. And, um, and this implication could be extended to another consequence. It seems that there could be an unlimited proliferation of membership in art world. And last but not least, um, so the above two um, ramifications could be seen as, um, as the flaw of over-inclusiveness, and the last could be seen as an over exclusiveness and um and, and the last consequence is that those splendid works i mean um the, the classic um the classic works could be um excluded if we, we we just take that um artistic intention too seriously because apparently those um those artists those, those artists in the ancient time and in the um classic times they they uh, they they didn't create those works for the purpose of art, but for something that's uh, religious or political. So so it means that those works could be excluded, and that would be a great loss. So now we are going to um, consider about the problems of accepting and rejecting ready-made thought to to make a decision whether we should do. Um, so, so the paradoxes of um, accepting ready-mades to the art world could be um, could, could probably be, be two main consequences. One, just as we mentioned before, um, it's the old story of the, the revolution. And more precisely speaking, um, it, it could be that those, um, Especially though those analytic philosophers of art could be considered as too conservative because uh, what they do is merely um, amending those uh, revolutionary works to a tradition, and and actually 
um, this judgment could be extended to what to to the efforts of Duchamp, because um, if his works are going to be taken as works of art, it means that we believe um, he was creating on behalf of the art world, which means that um, Duchamp himself is also conservative. The other problem is about the uh, ontological issue, which we just have discussed about. And the last one is about the relation between um, the object and the matter of ready-mades. So um, take Fountain as an example. So should we just um, take the object of Fountain as something more than a urinal, or should we uh, see it in the other light? We, we just um, took it as a work of art in certain contexts, but not in any other cases. So that suggested an ontological issue. So on the other side, um, I'm not going to examine the cause of excluding ready-mades. One just as Dental um, suggested that, so half of the style matrix, like, um, like for example, those um, representational and non-representational, those um, ex expressist and those non-expressist could be um, seen as style matrix. And if we exclude ready-mades, which means that um, there would be half of the style matrix be sacrificed. And it is precisely calculated as two to the power of n minus one. Um, and, 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 and this um, implication could be extended to, to the value of creativity as a defining chain. So um, consequently, um, way more works, including those Awanga, to join the, the troupe of artworks in exile. And uh, last but not least, Brock suggested that, yeah, he acknowledged um, probably, yeah, it would be a philosoph philosophical failure because um, we failed to, to provide a, um, philosophical, a philosophically plausible explanation to tolerate those most, re uh, most revolutionary works. So I'm now going to see if um, those, those problems of both sides could be solved and which one is, um, is much easier. And um, a a as for the, um, the paradoxes of accepting ready-mates, um, in order to answer the question, I'm now going to suggest a new distinction um, between the non-retinal arts and anti-arts since um, some artworks, um, especially those ready-mades, are targeting arts as a whole, but some are not. Some are just innovative. They they just um, they just be made more appealing to um, to to the mind rather than to, um, to to visual perception or visual experience. So um, th so this thing, distinction actually had been recognized, but not been clarified by Dickey. So now we've got two paralleling relationships. Normally, that non-retinal art overlaps, that's, uh, overlaps the aided ready-mades, and um, the anti-art overlaps the unassisted ready-mades. And, and now we are capable to, to look at um, the stops in a new light. And um, 
those one on the left should be classified as anti-art, while those one on the right should be seen as non-retinal art. So, what are the benefits of doing that? We will see that um, the ontological issue should be should be mitigated because um, if we cast it into this this light, we will see that it has just mistaken ready-made as a homogeneous group, and while Thank you. Uh, while the non-retinal art is not conferred by a mere choice of an artist, um, the anti-art should not be taken as an artwork because they never self-declare as a work of art. And, and also, uh, on the other side, um, we can see that even if we, we just um, toss those unaided ready-made out of the the art world, we would we wouldn't suffer um, too much loss because um, they they really just um, they they really just take a small part and not an an insignificant part in the style matrix. But um, there is also a problem left. It's about um, being a conservative because just as we mentioned before, those hardcore revolutionary are um, literally be. In, uh, be, be tossed out and that they are unable to be um, tolerated or appreciated. And um, also we, we would face another um, problem that, that whether um, this brings should be seen as a conservative uh, activity or a, a revolutionary activity. So um, in order to, to make a reply, I I would resort to um, not only the, the British Conservative, but also um, the the resource um, of um, Brock's phenomenology of art, and um, so as for the British Conservative, we now got uh, Michael Oxford and T. S. Eliot's um, consideration of um, the relation between uh, a tradition and newcomers, so. Uh, so according to Eliot, that's um, the, there there is a mutual um, adjustable relation between the newcomers and the tradition. And as for Oxford, um, tradition it's is not something um, already and always been there, and um, it, it's it's not something steady. Um, it's itself changeable and dynamic. It means that a conservative um, should not just get avoid of every kind of change, but also adapt himself to some tolerable changes. So, so now, um, if we see this issue um, from this perspective, we would just be more, more prudent um, in the choices of, um, of excluding unaided ready-mades. And um, if we just um, Turn back to to the the source of um Brock, we we see that actually he had gained um very much um inspiration from from late Hustle's and um, generic phenomenology and the discussion of historical sentiment. But this this thesis is itself highly problematic and is challenged by Aaron Gulwish because it seems to um ignore the diversity of experience and. Um, it means that not all the the, um, the empirical or historical thank you, layers are removable. So um, 
it indicates that not all, all kinds of process of sedimentation can be undone. So um, this um, is applicable to the question of um, the tradition of art. So um, the ramification could be that there would, would be some side effects or unpredictable consequences following um, the, the um, disfranchisement of the unaided ready-mades. And this is actually um, the problem brought yet to solve. So the conclusion is that Brock's formulation of excluding unaided ready-made is capable to deflate most of the existing challenges, but still vulnerable to the risks of revolution in general might bring about. So I'm now going to propose, but not to unfold, um, a modest argument to reconcile um, Brock's formulation. It is to suggest a third distinction between um, those ready-mades as mere vehicles for ideas, such as fountain or um, the, the bottle rack, because uh, it seems to me, and it seems to, to Paul Crowther, an, um, another phenomenologist in the English world, that those works only convey, um, yeah, they convey interesting, but um, comparatively single um, idea in one work. So it means that um, even if they, they could be um, they could be included to the art world, um, it wouldn't be um, <coughs> a great art or wouldn't be an artistic valuable. So um, so the, the other um, category are those ones that, that are um, genuine conceptual phenomena, mean, means that they are more than one idea and um, means that they, they have just um, convey the idea um, in a sensible medium, which is um, artistic valuable. So now we have a um, co-sufficient criteria when, when we are thinking about um, whether to, to toss out unaided ready-made or not. One is whether it is unaided, and the other is whether it is a mere vehicle of an idea. And um, this is my argument. Thank you so much for your listening. Any, uh,